We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello and welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Jack Brazil. Jack is the current coach in the Cayman Islands. He's a UFAB licensed coach. He is one of the Modern Soccer Coach mentee coaches. Uh, he's been fortunate enough to be paired with Nigel Atkins, former Premier League manager with Southampton, current championship manager with Hull City. So really, really good opportunity for Jack to learn from Nigel and we've got a little bit of an insight to what he has been learning. So um, a big, big part of the mentorship would open the doors for other coaches to see what the mentorship program is like and what they're learning. So we have Jack giving us a little insight on that there. We'll also look at his background as a coach, his experiences with the Cayman Islands and with what Nigel has been doing and his education, his course in New Zealand as well and a little bit of interesting uh, connections with Jack's family, Football Tree. So uh, it's it's very, very interesting. Uh, you're going to enjoy this one. As always, please leave a rating and give me your views. We'd love to hear some feedback, any questions. Always appreciate it. Uh, Gary Kernin on Twitter, Coach Kernin on Facebook, Gary Kernin on Instagram, and if you want to reach out on email, Gary at modernsoccercoach.com. Uh, always enjoy the engagement and hearing your thoughts. So here's Jack. Enjoy. Jack, thanks very much for joining me this morning on the Modern Soccer Coach podcast. Thank you, so, no problem. Um, it's nice and early here in the Cayman Islands. Uh, sat out, it's uh, it's nice and warm, so can't think of a better place to do it right now. I, have I, was, to say. I was just I was thinking, should I ask you about the weather? Should I not? Because it could annoy a few people, but you've just jumped right in. It's uh, sunny, blue skies and 80 degrees probably. <laughs> You're pretty much spot on there, Gary, 100%, 80 degrees. Um not much breeze today. It's going to be a warm one. Uh, so I'm making the most of it while the sun's away, believe it or not. Tell us a little bit about your background, Jack. I've been coaching since I was about 16. You know, I had that horrible scenario, that horrible realisation I think everyone kind of has at some point when they're growing up playing football is that I wasn't going to be a professional, so I wanted to keep myself in the game. And at 16, I started studying my coaching badges. By 18, I had my level two. Um, and I start, I went to university and started coaching in the university teams there. And in my breaks between my university um, university years, I had big four or five month gaps at times. And I started applying for roles overseas and just contacting people. And through those contacts, I ended up coaching in Mongolia, uh, the Turks and Caicos Islands, Gibraltar, Spain. And it really reopened my horizons to, you know, coaching doesn't just exist on this small island that we call England or Britain and it's uh there's a there's a lot more to the to the coaching fraternity and a lot more to learn so I went um upon my graduation I was offered a job in the Cayman Islands very fortunately through my previous work and um I thought why not where 
where better to learn my craft than uh you know it's been so many social challenges so many different you know psychological physical challenges and so much of a change for me to learn about how to deal with a group of people um over here and you know coaching the Cayman Islands I coach uh Academy Sports Club a Cayman Premier League team and I also um help run a a youth academy for four to sixteen year olds so it's it's a very 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 challenge I coach anything from a four-year-old through to a 36-year-old every day and you know that that experience has really helped develop me as a coach. Did you work with uh, Craig Harrington? Yeah um, Craig and I um, communicated for about a year um, I was trying to get over I'd had previous contact with the previous technical director of the Turks and Caicos Islands Football Association and he'd offered me an opportunity to go and coach there uh, he sadly then left the job and there wasn't a technical director until Craig came in. So as soon as Craig came in, I emailed him quite boldly saying, I was meant to come over, what's happened? Um, and I think he liked the fact that I was not brash, but I was quite confident to say, come on, I want to come over. Um, and, you know, he came back with a statement of, look, Jack, we'd love to have you. However, we're bringing in a much higher standard of coach right now. He just had Louis Lancaster come over and um, be part of the programme. And I... You know, we spoke about potentially bringing a team over and um, accompanying that with me doing some coaching. So I brought the, the the Coventry University team over to the Turks and Caicos Islands. We spent three weeks there. Alongside that, I was coaching the under-17, under-15 national team. I did some work with the women's national team and the grassroots setup. And Craig really let me just get on with it. He sort of gave me the reins and he gave me a real opportunity to work within a national football association uh, for three weeks. And you know, I still maintain very good contact with the people there and I maintain very good contact with Craig and he's, you know, been a fantastic resource for my learning. It's funny how the degrees of separation goes in soccer and they seem yeah. to be, maybe it's just today with online being what it is, they're getting smaller and smaller. So you were the, you were the link when Craig and I both came to Chicago. Rory mm. brought us in a couple of months ago. You were the, the first question we're trying to find out, you know, mutual acquaintances and Hmm. Jack Brazil's name came up so there you go <laughs> <laughs> oh it's very cool yeah he's a good guy great guy um, let's talk about your philosophy because that's the first step of the of the mentorship hmm. how would you describe it I'd describe it as very changeable um, something that doesn't stick true for a long time and I, I think that's due to the nature of the learning experience that you go on um you know, I think when I was coaching at university in England, I was very, very set. You know, we're a pressing team. The fields aren't going to be very good, so we can't play that good of football, but we're a pressing team. We work really hard out of possession. When we get the ball, we try and attack as quickly as possible. And I came, I remember coming to Cayman and I had that same idea. I thought, wow, it's worked at university. You know, we've won things. It's going to work over here. And it didn't one bit. And, you know, the, the, the main problems with that were culturally, the players weren't ready for it. And, and secondly, we, we we didn't have the ability to maintain it in the heat because the heat was so, so, so strong. Um, so I had to consider how I was going to change my game plan and my philosophy. And, you know, that, that also linked into the way I acted and the way I was with people. You know, I couldn't be so intense and over the top because the culture didn't depend on that. People are late here. People see their time as, you know, not more important than others, but they see their time as their time. It doesn't really run alongside everyone else's time. So if training is 6.30 and they turn up at 6.45, they don't see the issue. They just think, well, you're going to have to adjust to me. Um, so then my philosophy had to change from being a real disciplinarian and wanting things to be done this way, this way, this way, to being a little bit more relaxed, but you know, 
putting the onus back on the team and saying, well, if you're going to be late, then you're going to let us down in this way and this way and this way. And uh, it's been it's been a real development experience um, doing this course alongside doing my philosophy. And I've felt in the past four months, you know, like my coaching's come on a ridiculous amount because I'm really reflecting on what my philosophy is. So to answer your question right up, what is my philosophy? I think it changes all the time. And I think that's one of the best things, you know, about it. It's got to be flexible. I want to be able to teach people how to improve football, but more so I want to be part of their learning experience in life. And, um, you know, that's, that's a real challenge, but uh, I've, I've really enjoyed everything, you know, about building that philosophy so far. It's, that's fair. I find that very interesting that, you know, that awareness of knowing what works and what doesn't, knowing what, and I find that with coaches that when they struggle, they sometimes blame external factors mm. but then it's either the players or it's you know it's injuries or something and I faced the same thing when I came to Bakersfield I came um, my first division one job uh, I came from east east coast to west coast almost um, yeah it was a lot more probably without no even knowing it I was a lot more direct than I thought so mm. my state of play and the way of working was and again you're talking about communication so mm. My, my communication was a lot more direct. So then you have to change and adapt because what you're saying is the environments don't adapt to you really, do they? They don't look at you and say, wow, he's English. He's got a great knowledge of the game. Let's hmm. People don't do that at any level, do they? No, and you think they do. And you come in and you think, yeah, you know, I remember I was, I was still young now, but I was very young. I came in real, 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 real fresh. And I thought, Everyone's going to want it. I'm the English coach here in the Cayman Islands. They're never going to see anything like this before. Bang, I'm going to come and change everything. And the answer was the other way around. They came and changed me. And it was for the better for now because I see if I go into an environment in the future, I probably need to take two weeks, three weeks, just to take a step back and start assessing things and then how I can piece things together from that. Mm. My own ideas and just bulldozing everything out of the way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's funny on the, on the punctuality stuff with, used to have Willie McFall who was a you probably before your time Willie would have he managed Newcastle he would have been Gascoigne's manager in Newcastle mm -hmm. for a couple of years Northern Ireland legend he used to mm -hmm. come over and do some summer camps in North Carolina at Wingate when I was just starting to coach and I always remember he he was the national team manager at Guam um, way way back in the day but he, he said the same thing about people showing up at half an hour an hour after training schedule to start how how do you like? Do you change that, or is that something you just roll your eyes up every day and get on with it? I think the yeah, one of, one of the best things that I've sort of learned over here is there's only so much energy you can expend on items like that, and the most important thing is the players that are on time don't see you compromising their development for the people who are late, uh, and then also for the players who are late, they don't see you compromising for them because. The moment you start compromising for them, obviously they go right. I can still I can carry on turning up late. So if the session starts at six thirty, I'll give them five ten minutes to just turn up, get their shin pads on because that's just the way the culture is. So we don't usually start until six forty now, but you know that gives me ten minutes to have a conversation, set the tone, see where everyone is in relation to their day. You know, someone might have had a bad day, so on and so forth. It gives me that ten minute grace period, and also for myself, it gives me ten minutes just to step back and assess the environment and see where we are and. You know, put a little bit of discipline into players. Like, can you do this for me? Can you get the balls out? Can you make sure they're pumped? All that little bit of, 
you know, responsibility. But then if players start turning up past that point, I don't have the conversation with them um, until it is probably maybe a first drinks break or something like that. And if they come and stand next to you and go, where can I jump in? I go, whoa, wait a minute, you're late. And it's sort of by compromising their training experience, they realise I can't continue being late. And it's it's not a disciplined approach because I can go to them, oh, you, you can't do that. This isn't right. You know, you can't be late. This is what you're doing. This, they don't listen. They just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And culturally, it's so far embedded in them that they don't see a problem with it, turning up at 6.45 for a 6.30 session. You know, last night, we had someone turn up at 7 o'clock. Culturally, it's not a thing. And sometimes we have some very young kids, 16, 17-year-olds. You know, we had a game on Sunday, 3.30 p.m. meet. Was That was the agreed time for a 4.45 kickoff. And three of the boys turned up at um, 3.58. And I went, well, why are you late? They went, oh, my mum. It's not just um, them that you have to deal with. It's also the people around them that that are also late. And it just makes it acceptable. So you have to be the person that almost tries to change that within them, but not with discipline. Very hard. Oh, I can't imagine. Oh, I can't imagine. But again, something you have to adapt to, right? Exactly. On the communication, you mentioned about being less direct in your communication. When when you're in in a culture, an environment that is, yeah, less probably... A little bit more laid back, less confrontational. Do you take those? Do you, is it informal? Is it like the walking around, walking to a water break with someone? Is it having a coffee with someone? Where do you do the majority of your of your communication? It's if away from the field. Um, the majority of my communication comes from via text message or phone calls. Um, a lot of the well, all the players pretty much who play in our team are either in education or also doing second jobs. So their the time is at a premium. So you'll find that some of them are very, very happy to come and meet you for lunch and they want to go and have a chat. And some of you are happy to meet in the evening and just want to have a conversation. But some of it is via text message, via phone calls, because they're either very busy or they, they haven't got ways of, of getting out and seeing you. Or it, it could also be, yeah, just that, that walk to the, to the cooler at the, at the water break and just that little bit of a catch up or... After the session is quite a popular thing that I've not brought in, but you know we, we've kind of fostered as a group. Is sometimes we will sit after a session for half an hour, forty minutes, and we'll just sit in the bleacher and and have a conversation. I think that that creates that little bit of camaraderie and that understanding of the way people are. You're doing your A license with the New Zealand FA at the minute. Yeah, the mentorship is a guideline of a different topic every month, and it's creating your own path. Is the course in New Zealand similar in terms of you creating yourself or is it more follow this method or follow that method how's that been superb I have to say um, the, the head of coach education or the, the person who de- delivers the courses is Rob Sherman very very well respected um, has done the A license in Wales for example uh, he's had a big part in that he also did a lot of coach education in Australia and the coach development manager over there Steve Dillon they've been superb with me because you know on my arrival they recognised that I was here I was in New Zealand from a you know a long dif- distance it took me 57 hours to get there but oh. the main thing that they told me was all the time this is about developing you as a coach so we might have preconceived ideas in New Zealand about how you who you want to learn to coach and how we want you to learn to coach but they said once that gets to be license we transfer it to right we've put out our pathway we've put out how we want you to coach our ideas a license how does that apply to your environment and your personality and your coaching and you know we did do two or three days at the start where they had to you know bring me up to terms uh, bring me up to 
speed on terms and little just little phrases and knowledge but then once um once we got through that they were very very open and you know one of the things we had was um, we had a little sort of not an assessment they don't do direct assessments but we had a practice session um and they were very very complimentary of my style and my personality but they also had an issue with um the way I set it out, they said it wasn't realistic to the game in, because we only had, for example, one wide player in each for the blue team. And then the orange team had two wide players in. So the orange team were just overlapping and getting through every time. And although our, our subject was attacking in wide areas and switching the play to attacking wide areas, it wasn't realistic to the game because they only had one person to attack and one person to beat. So it became very, very simple for the, for the orange team who I was coaching. Um, so we had a big conversation about that and he said, look, Jack, if that's the way you want to play football, that's fine. And we completely agree with you. And that's, But then you have to articulate it and present it in a correct manner, which looks realistic to the game. Otherwise, you know, I can't condone that as an assessment that would get, you know, a pass, for example. And, you know, Rob was very, very vocal in stepping in and, you know, not criticising, but making an open point to everyone. So this has been a really good coaching session. However, the quality of the um, the makeup and the way it's been drawn out hasn't reflected the real demands of the game. This is why X, Y, and Z. And you know, I think some people came over and were like, "Oh, I can't believe he's just blasted you like that." But I was really happy with it because it shows that he cares enough and he, he's that interested enough to to really help me and, and feel like he can challenge me. So, I think that element of being able to develop myself as well as and develop my philosophy in relation to the New Zealand coaching guidelines is has been massive coming out of you know an English coach education environment where I found it not restrictive but very much there's this way to coach to go into New Zealand where there's been not carte blanche but there's been there's some guidelines work around them see what you come up with it's you know it's been phenomenal and then you pair that with with the learning that I've done you know via the mentorship they've, they've really worked hand in hand together and some of the things that I'm doing with the, the A license in New Zealand and vice versa with the mentorship I'm applying to both things even with my coursework for the A license or you know, a little bit of coursework with a the mentorship. They're very, very similar with, you know, subtle differences, but they allow me to refine it bit by bit as I go along. And that's, it's been invaluable for myself. Brilliant. Brilliant. Is that a thingy in the background or is that your, is that your alarm or is that your... Uh... The chicken. Yeah. It's a chicken. There are thousands of wild chickens in the Cayman Islands. Uh, you cannot escape them. I'm sat currently out in the back garden and they are all kicking off at the moment. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, <laughs> I, I love that there from Rob's, like, it's almost, coaches are almost like players in a sense where your your experience of learning is, mm. you you know, you accept that there is structure involved, like there's no coaching course that allows you to do whatever you want and it wouldn't work if you would. Um, no. But there has to be a level of freedom. But for a coach, for Rob to kick that off and be say, hey, you know, if this is the way you see football, this is the way you see the game, we appreciate it. But, you know, that, that's got to be a big thing for even coach education to have someone to be open minded and say, like, I see that you see the game differently and that's fine. But can we get it to where it's been communicated? <laughs> that's got to be that's got to help with the buy in of the of the New Zealand course. Exactly. And. You know, I'd, I'd heard many, many good things about Rob previously, and one of the one of the things that really made me do the jump and, you know, spend the money and sit on the plane for the amount of time that I did was I contacted previous people who'd been on the course. You know, Jose Figueroa was one of them. Um, oh, good. He was one of the mentors, and he within within twenty four hours, you know, he he contacted me back saying, Jack, you have to do this course, and, you know, and I spoke to probably three other people, and that the instant response was, Jack, you have to do it. 
it's so good for you, you know, and there was such a welcoming community of, yeah, and when you're over, let's, let's go for a drink, let's go for a coffee, let's have a chat. Let's see what you think about the course. And that proactive nature just made me think, well, I've got to be part of this. You know, this seems like something really, really positive in a community I want to, I want to grow within. And, you know, it was, it was, it was just a brilliant thing for me. And, you know, I'm really excited for part two in September. I posted a video yesterday that I saw from or retweeted, commented over a video on the Scottish FA. Did you see the Villa, Villas Boas? Yeah, yeah, I actually caught up with it properly this morning. I didn't have a chance yesterday, so oh. I got up early and caught up with it this morning. I thought it was just, brilliant. Ah, oh, just for like people look at coaching courses. So many, yeah, oh, I got to go and do the course, or hey, I don't want to be there. And and I'll be honest, like I had, I I had similar feelings when I went through my initial coach education, but mm. I think we can learn a lot from the attitude that you have coming in, like his attitude of like, I've, I have, I just, I was blown away by how intentional he was to go yeah. and get information. Like, and then he was like for a Portuguese guy to be open-minded to go to Scotland and learn. I just think it's <laughs> brilliant. You know, I think, I think somewhere down the pathway, I, I'd love to go and do my UA for a license in Scotland based on what I've watched this morning. I thought, wow, just, just a phenomenal phenomenal individual to be able to then when he's asked to go back he just goes yeah of course because this has been integral for me and I might be able to learn something or pick something up off the other people and I thought that was you know, really really good yeah class class um so you're doing your a license you're obviously involved in the mentorship program you're doing your performance and coaching masters at yeah University of Sterling yeah so how do you manage everything how you know there's a lot of study there there's a lot of reading there's a lot of assessments a lot of time. How do you manage between study and work? It's a lot of 6 a.m. wake-up calls. Um, and, uh, you know, very luckily I have the chickens here, so I get up at 6 a.m. anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, you know, intentional sitting there on, on the night before, you know, when I go to bed at 10 o'clock, writing down, right, 6 a.m. I'm getting up till 7 a.m. I'm doing this and so on and so forth and really structuring your day well. But then also, you know, one of the, one of the best things you know I've learned recently is you know my discipline allows me to have freedom in in the future. So if I'm really disciplined with my work now, you know, the future of this weekend it might mean you know I can I can go and do what I want for two or three hours and relax. And you know, example being my discipline yesterday, I was up at six. I worked through till midday, so I had a six-hour block of pretty much working intently. Um, stopped for a couple of fifteen-minute breaks for breakfast, etc. And then my uh, and then that allowed me the freedom to get ready and and go and watch the Liverpool game. And then straight after that, I went straight to work and I worked until nine o'clock. So it allowed me that freedom to be able to enjoy the Liverpool game and not have that on the back burner that I need to do this, I need to do that. So I found it, you know, and I think Nigel as my mentor has really helped me with that. You know, he's he introduced me to the idea of taking a journal and not just writing down, this happened today, this happened today, writing down the intent and the feeling that it gave you and the real... And the way it made you feel, and it's, it's, you know, I've been doing that over two months now. And looking back, it's really nice to look back on it and go, ah, I remember this happening, and this is how I felt, and this is how I've progressed since then. And it sort of adds credence to your, to, to the way that I now structure my day and I structure everything. And you know, that's, you know, again, it's, it's been a real, real help for me learning that sort of stuff from Nigel, and you know, recognizing how he spends all his time organizing his day and making sure it's really, really well scheduled. Yeah, so let's talk about Nigel then. So obviously, a Premier League manager, great experience. The exposure he has to pressure, I am 
none of us would have any idea of what it's like unless you probably sit in that seat. So to, for him to advise you on, on that self-awareness piece, I find really interesting. How did he sell you on it? I mean, I start off with probably the best thing about mine and Nigel's conversations is that, or Nigel and I's conversations, I should say, is that they go whichever direction they're in. We sit there at the start and we go, right, what do you want to learn today? Or he goes, what do you want to learn today? So on and so forth. And oh, it, from there, it just goes off on tangents. And we were speaking about, we just had a conversation. I just said, well, I think the first the first ever Skype I had to him was, right, I says, he said, what do you what do you want me to learn from me? I says, right, Nigel, I says, I want to know from the first minute to the final minute of the first week of a job what you do to introduce yourself and not change your culture but understand the culture. Uh, I said, I want to go through that first week. That's something that I'm really, really interested in, Nigel. I really want to see how you deal with the communication, the physical loading, the understanding of the environment, all those little things. And through that, we then got on to time management and we spoke, he spoke about how he has to apportion sections of time very, 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 very strictly and distinctly to be able to fit everything in and make sure that he's you know, getting up on time and going to sleep on time. But then also in between that, he has his little checklist of I need to do some exercise today. I need to make sure I eat three good meals today. And, he, and it was that little thing, that checklist that made me think, right. And then I delved a bit deeper and we had a chat and we, we, we spoke a little bit more about it. And then he said, oh, I've got my journal here. And he pulled out his little black book with uh with the, the journal on the side and then I said oh what else he said then he brought his diary and said this is my diary and this is where I keep everything in and you know ever since it made sense that you know it's a really good way of moving forwards and and organizing yourself and it's just little little things like that and uh and the conversation continually grows and Nigel's excellent at telling me about situations obviously I cannot disclose on mm -hmm. this but he tells me about situations he's had with players and he won't distinctly say the player's name, but he'll make it, you know, not abundantly clear, but he'll make it clear about the scenario so I can relate to it and go, oh, that's might be who he's talking about. And this is the situation they were in at that moment in time from an outside perspective. And he gives me the inside perspective view and um, just the way he deals with those situations. And, you know, straight away, you can draw parallels between you know, the championship that he's coaching in now and the Premier League that he coached in previously and, and the coaching environment you work within. And, you know, and he's he's very interested to hear about my environment as well. And, you know, he's even said to me before, you know, there's some things that I've picked up from our conversation that have really contributed towards me having to think about my environment. That's, you know, it, working as a two-way process. And that's been, you know, a real, real confidence builder for myself as well. People think coaching at the highest level is easier, you know, Guardiola can play this way because he has the best players and an unlimited budget. But always when you get to a higher level, you have a different set of problems. Players are maybe a little more resistant to, to a certain way of coaching or maybe you have to, you know, the buy-in is harder, etc. Um, is Nigel, is the biggest challenge that you see from, you know, if you see like what what's the hardest thing at that level? Would you see it from pressure? Would you see it from dealing with uh, personal players would you see it from a tactical level what's the biggest challenge do you see at, at Nigel's level I think one of the things you know with my conversations with him um, has been the way he deals with a big squad and I think that always comes across as not not a worry of his but something that he's always concerned about keeping correct and keeping as you know as positive as possible because at the end of the day he can only pick 11 players to start the game and then three of us to come on the pitch and when he has a squad of 24, 25, as he does now, it's very, very difficult to keep those other 
12 players happy 11 12 players happy and um and then also keeping himself not as a as the good guy but the person who's respected all the time and you know he's that 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 comes across as you know something that when i've spoken to him is a, is a real real challenge because a lot of these you know these footballers we, we take it for granted we think they just take 30,000 40,000 pounds a week and they think oh brilliant I'm a millionaire, but that's not the truth. Most of them have got there through real, real hard graft and hard work because they've wanted all their lives to be a professional footballer. And the the money's a byproduct. The money's something that comes alongside it. It's like us as coaches. We we wouldn't want to really do anything else. That's how we see our lives. We love coaching, and they love football just the same. And then when they sit on the bench and they're not part of the thing that they want to be part of, it's very, very difficult as a coach to then sell your vision of right. You're not on the bench, but this is how I can improve you in the future, and this is my future plan for you. Um, so I think looking back for him, it was how he manages, you know, his squad. You know, when you're winning, that's easy. But when you're losing, then you have to work out, well, you know, I've got three or four players on the bench who, or three or four players in the squad who aren't quite getting a crack at the minute, but they're on the periphery. How do I keep those guys motivated and make sure they don't spoil the rest of the, um, the, rest of the environment? Divide the pressure by a thousand. And that's what, even at the college level, I always felt that there, there was a... The, the buzz of winning never was really winning. It was a relief that you made, you picked the right team or made the right choices. <laughs> because when you don't win, that's whenever the door knocks five times on the next morning and the players are like, hey, I should have played. And yeah, as a coach, you're going, yeah, you're absolutely spot on coming at me. But it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, would you like to work at that level? Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, I see... I see I see that as where I want to take my career eventually. Um, yeah. I'd like to coach at the professional level. I love the idea of the buzz, like you said, the relief of winning. I I, I feel that a lot. Um, you know, and it, me and Nigel spoke about it the other day. We spoke about, you know, he says a lot of times when you see coaches achieve big things, they don't go and celebrate. There's not the big emotional celebration. There's almost a look of relief on their hands where they just shake the opposition manager's hand and they sort of, walk around a little bit dazed, a little bit like, wow, that, that's it. And it's almost a weight off your shoulders. And um, it's, you know, and I, I live for that buzz of a Sunday or, you know, a Sunday here, but a Saturday three o'clock kickoff where you, you, your day and potentially your week is determined by the result. And it sounds a bit psychophantic. It sounds a little bit odd, but it is. And you, you live for that day and and you are so excited for it and all the buzz and the build-up and the adrenaline, it's its hard to match as a, as, a, as a feeling. And, you know, even from a smaller level here, you know, building up to games and, you know, the example, the FA Cup final we had the other weekend, it was it was just a really, really good thing to be part of. And having people being, you know, watching the crowd there, the atmosphere, it, it really, really felt special. And, you know, it, it, those little moments only feed your enthusiasm and your drive to coach at the top level. And I see myself, you know, in the future, pushing myself as hard as possible. And, and you know, I will never hide from the fact that I support Liverpool. That's my main club. And if ever there was a dream job, I'd, I'd love to manage my club. It would just be the dream come true, if that makes sense. It's funny, like that, that relief on how, on a professional environment, we, I went to, uh, Craig and I went to uh, East Paroya, like it's a, it was two hours away. We did a, a presentation with the players and a couple of coaches and their families and Craig's Craig's part was what makes an elite player so Craig did it from a from a top player at the at the US level and he's talking about 
how his his work is basically it. You know, everything goes around the, the Saturday. Like you've got to get everything right, and then he's talking about when he doesn't. It ruins the the club is not the same when you don't win. Hmm. Um, and I can see the parents nodding, and then all of a sudden he's like, "And I'm not the same if I don't win. You know, I don't speak as much. I'm not a good as husband. I'm not a good as father." Um, hmm. And all of a sudden, these nine-year-olds are all looking at him, going, "Like, <laughs> what do you mean the world is not perfect?" You know. <laughs> but that's but that's real. We don't, you know, we we read we read newspapers, we read articles, we read these here. We think these managers are just think the game, but the intense pressure that they're under and the relief is just that's what makes it fascinating to me when I study them. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and. You know, I, I can completely agree with what Craig says there. It's it's one of those when you don't win and you don't get what you expect and you don't, you know, you, I remember, you know, even up to a few months ago, I'd come home and I'd blame everyone but myself. And now it's like the, the, the locus of control. You have to internally look at it yourself and what more could I have done or what way could I have approached it differently? And um, it, it creates a real, real positive learning experience for yourself at times losing, but I don't like it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Moving away to work in the Cayman Islands, so was that a conscious effort to, was it expanding your coaching knowledge? Was it the love of traveling or was it just something that came up? I think it's a combination of the three. Um, I love traveling because it gives you an understanding of a different culture and the way other people work. Uh, the, the game is a global game now and working with, different cultures is an inevitability more so than uh you know something that's different it's inevitability you look at the changing rooms in the premier league the championship league one league two in the english leagues even now into the spanish italian german leagues they are so multicultural and if you want to have an understanding of of, of that multicultural element you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit and that was one of the things i wanted to do as well when i moved here it was it was take myself out of not just my coaching comfort zone, but my life comfort zone. Um, I felt very comfortable coaching in England, and you know the the, the English way is you know this is it's a lot of hard work, a lot of gust, and a lot of real real strength and passion and things like that at the level I was coaching at. And obviously, it's not at the highest level now. It's really changing for the better, I think. But at the level I was coaching at, it's a lot of you know real real passion, speed, run run run, and coming to a different environment where they don't see that would um would really challenge me and you know it was a it was a real real challenge for myself and that that comfort zone again I come back to it that was the main thing for myself I wanted to come out of my comfort zone I wanted to try something new you know I, I had the feel for it ever since I went to Mongolia for two months that was out of my comfort zone and I think when I came back from that and I was in England again I thought this has made me so much stronger as a person even two months away and it's made me so much stronger as a coach doing it again is not it's not going to harm me in any way and you know that ability also without the strings that is somehow attached to UK coaching in that you are restricted to this curriculum and this way of coaching and sometimes you almost get given your session plan to do that creativity of Jack you're almost the most experienced person here there you go take it where you want it and that's been you know brilliant for me because I've experimented and learned along the same path as well and the only thing I've missed out here at times is, is a real mentor or someone to guide me because I haven't been able to watch other people coaching all the time and so on and so forth. Um, and it's been difficult. So, you know, linking back to the way I've developed in the last four months, that's real, real positive due to the mentorship and, and also the, the A license that I've been studying. Your sister plays 
for Fiorentina. Yes. Something cool about that there, both of you going away to get, one going away to get a coaching experience, one going away to get a playing experience. I mean, a lot of people all say it's cool. My mum doesn't think it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's, you know, we we grew up together. We're inseparable. Um, she just texted me then, actually. It's funny you say that. We are, um, we're inseparable. We talk every day. Um, we grew up, you know, she, there's only five years in between us, but we grew up on that front garden, that back garden, firing balls at each other. You know, her third birthday present was um, from myself was, a pair of goalkeeping gloves because I wanted a goalkeeper and uh, <laughs> the story goes it's very funny within two weeks I was wearing them when she was shooting balls at me um, but you know we, we've we've always been involved in football we've always loved, we've always loved it um, you know it's funny with Liverpool at the minute reaching the semi-finals of the Champions League she texted me last night she was like I remember these days you know it was you jumping around the living room and all this sort of stuff and we do have a real connection about the sport and uh you know, it does upset me at times that we're so far apart, but it's also makes me very proud that she's testing herself on a different level and she's took herself out of comfort zone. You know, we spoke about it last summer. She went to the um, the European Championships with the England in the 19s in Belfast and she played against Italy and she got, she got contacted um, by a Fiorentina representative after that game and she called me. She went, what do you think? And I said, I think it would be the best thing for you for a year. Go and see what it's like. If you want to stay a second year, that's fantastic. A third year, you'll love it. But the first year to take yourself out of that comfort zone and try something new, learn a new language, you know, improve yourself as a player and a person, it's, you know, it's an, it's an invaluable experience you can't turn down because you don't know when it's going to come again. And and she she very, very quickly made up her mind within within the next three weeks that she was going. And by uh, by September, she'd, uh, she'd, moved to, she'd moved to Florence full time and, you know, it makes me very proud, and you know, we watch, I get up to watch all the games. From this last Sunday, we uh, she played against Juventus, and I was up to watch it. And uh, she, sorry, on Saturday, and you know, she comes on as a substitute, and she does very, very well. She has a part in the winning goal, and it's really, really nice to watch. And you know, know that moving abroad and testing yourself and challenging yourself isn't just exclusive for a coach or for someone in that environment. For a player, it's a real, real valuable experience as well. I had read about her about a year ago, an article, maybe BBC did an article on her. Um, yeah. I didn't, and obviously on this whole process, didn't put two and two together. So hmm. when I found out, I was like, oh, wow, uh, that's pr- pretty cool. Are you, are you, when you're calling her, texting her about, are you picking her brain about the kind of work she's doing every day? Like what the training is, what the state of play is? Yeah, but then she tells me off and tells me she wants to t- talk, speak to me like a brother and not a footballer all the time. She goes, you're not my coach. She's fed up. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, that's, that's the funny thing. Players don't see coaches as cool as coaches see coaches. No. Yeah, that's no, good. So that's good. What, what's, to, the, uh, what's the games like? The Italian games? Uh, different quality, I'll be honest with you. Um, depends who they're playing against. I mean, that Juventus game they played this weekend was one of the best female games I've seen, full stop. It was... Just phenomenal standard, uh, such a high intensity, such a speed. Ellie called me afterwards. She was buzzing. She was like, oh, it was brilliant. You know, I want to play in those type of games every week. But then the sad part is you have the lower level teams and they can't quite compete because it's not quite, you know, the WSL yet. It's not quite of that standard that we have in the UK and definitely not of the standard of the NWSL in, in the States. And because 
that probably the the top three teams are full time, and then the remaining twelve, uh, the remaining nine of the top twelve are are not full time; they're semi professional. So it's yet to really bridge that gap to being a fully professional league. However, you know Ellie's team, Fiorentina professional, Juventus professional, Brescia professional, and um, she has that challenge when she plays the bigger games and. For her, it's maintaining that challenge throughout the games against the semi-pro teams to, to keep competing. So the same way I didn't know about your sister in the process, I also didn't know about your father. Hmm. Something that I can understand why it wasn't something that you put in your application or when we were going through the process, um, you, you know, wanting to create your own path, etc. But from um, your dad is the academy manager at Nottingham Forest. Yes. Uh, former professional. From someone who's, you know, who's, my dad had a big influence on, on my football path. How, how has your dad impacted you? Uh, well, um, a crazy amount, to be fair. Um, you know, at 18, I decided to have a gap year against his wishes. He wanted me to go to university. Um, but within a month of being there, he came. I remember him coming to me. He goes, right, he says... One of the sports science interns has dropped out at the academy. In you come. And I went as an intern for a year. Um, no pay or anything, but I'd be doing the most menial jobs ever. I was doing the hydration tests. I was doing the, you know, all of the data entry and things like that for the GPS and so on and so forth. But he knew it was the best thing for me because every day from 7.30, I was not just on a, you know, a, a sports science internship. I was on a coaching apprenticeship. I was on every sort of apprenticeship you could imagine. Um, cause at 7.45 I had to walk into that changing room and all the players knew I was the academy manager's son and I had to deal with that. <laughs> and I had to almost create, like you said, my own identity and my own person and, and separate myself from him and, and be myself and be Jack rather than just Gary's son. And, um, that was, you know, such a challenge and, you know, thinking back, it was, you know, the best thing you could have done for me. And, Ever since, you know, phone calls or anything like that, he's always he's always supported me, and he's always had to want that, always wanted that conversation, and um, you know, even even to November last year, he came and visited here, and he was he was quite taken aback with almost how far I developed and, and how much I'd come on as a coach, but also the environment that you know I was working with, and he was really impressed with the players and the quality of the players, and you know how much they listened and how much they wanted to learn and all that sort of stuff. So, it's, you know, it's been a brilliant experience having my dad there. And, you know, it's, it's great now because I've got two bounce boards. I can I can call Nigel, I can call my dad. And having those people that have real experience at the top level of professional game is, is brilliant. And, you know, it's the other way around as well. You know, when he, when they, when he takes over the first team, because it seems to happen quite a bit at the minute with the way <laughs> Forest recycle their managers. That is, you know, not a Forest-endorsed comment, put it that way. Yeah. He, um he comes back and we have real good conversations about what he's experiencing. And that, that only drives me to, to do the same myself and want to work at that level. Mm. Does your dad see a change in players in terms of like having with all his experience? Does he see, I suppose, does he see that it being more difficult these days um, with, with, I suppose, the money in the game or social media, what it is, more challenges? I mean, I, social media is a funny one, but yeah, he does see the change. Um, but you know, I've I've had to make him social media savvy as well. Or we <laughs> probably, probably probably more his fiance has had a has had a has a bit of work in that as well. Um, she's uh, she's had to push him into Twitter. She's a massive Forest fan herself, so um, 
that's uh, that's a difficult stakeholder for him to deal with at times. Um, but we we put we put him onto Twitter and we you know we make him publicise that the positive things the academy are doing via it because we think it's a really really good way of managing the supporters and you know a really important stakeholder in that and you know he's you know he's he's taken it on himself and he's very very good at it now and you know he he, he keeps in contact with the supporters very well through that medium um you know the the, the FA Cup game where he, he took them against Arsenal earlier this year it was it was quite an explosion because not only he was getting tweets both Ellie and Di were getting tweets as well so uh, it was, um it was it was really really interesting you know it was it was really exciting to be part of and you know, he sees a change in the way football is because of that social media aspect. It's 24-7 now. Someone can contact you at any time of the day from any part of the world about the football and ask, why are you doing this? Why are you not doing that? And, you know, and that does relate to the players because they're, they're almost a little bit more on edge. But they've also also got the content of whatever the media is saying also at their fingertips. If they want to look at what the media is saying about it themselves, they have it there and they're more... They're more likely to know if things are going wrong um, now and they're also more likely to know if things are going right so you know my dad has to manage that win it doesn't mean you're too good and that loss doesn't mean you're a terrible footballer and try and find that middle ground we'll finish up here with a couple of quick fire questions cool all right you're taking over a top european club champions league club and you've got the power to restructure every aspect of it what's the first thing you do oh i love this one um, so I've actually been doing this as part of the project for Nigel. I'm still at it. Uh, it changes every day. Um, the first thing I do is implement a pyramid on our culture. So we work on the three P's as you know. We as I've tried to term it, and I've spent time messing out with it. The first thing is identifying a purpose. What's the purpose of our mission? What do we want to do? And that's the basis. Without the purpose, you can't have the things above. The second level of that pyramid is your preparation. How do you prepare to deliver that purpose? And then the third level will be the performance and how we, how we, you know, prepare to deliver that performance, um, you know, in relation to our purpose. And I think once we align that purpose and we create that purpose of what we as a group want to do, that's the first thing I do is sit everyone down and say, right, what's our purpose? What do you want to achieve? You know, what do you see football as? Why do you play football? What is the purpose for you playing football? Once you've ascertained that, then as a group, we can move forward into, you know, how that is because in, uh, how do we can deliver that, how we prepare for it and how we create a performance in relation to that. Good answer. Good answer. What kind of assistant would you hire in terms of personality? Where do they specialise? I'd hire an assistant who's very, very good at being close to the players. Um and getting on really well and maintaining a high energy and a high spirit. Someone that has an equal drive to myself, if not a higher drive, and wants to do everything as well as possible and has a, an eagerness to learn, but also has an independent mind where they're not afraid to come across and go, Jack, I think you're doing that wrong. And I think we should do it this way and, and challenge my thinking as well as providing a real drive and energy and a closeness to the players. Tracksuit or a suit? I love a tracksuit. <laughs> <laughs> take take training or stand back and watch I can't not take training I have to do it even when the assistant takes training here I step in and make some points so yeah. I have to take training uh, day before a game office door closed or open open right, you want to chat to everyone day before a game good man yeah just you know canvas what their feelings are like <laughs> see how they are make sure as well 
you might actually learn something in that day before a game whereby it changes your thinking leading into it. And, it, you know, you can't make massive changes the day before a game, but it might be the way you address a team talk. It might be the way you address an individual leading up to the game. If someone's got concerns or ideas, I think it's very important that you have an open door to discuss that even up to, you know, the, the, the hours before the game. Phones are loud in the changing room? Oh, don't start me on this one. Um, I allow them up until an hour before kickoff. <laughs> oh, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important because um, some of the players want to just, it's a way they keep their mind off things and a way they relax. And sometimes, you know, that's the way it is. People people do sit on WhatsApp or Facebook or Twitter and they do find that quite a relaxing me- method or medium. And and that, that, that sometimes is something that they do to chill out. So I, I can't I can't stop that. I'll give you one coach to shadow for a week anywhere in the world. Who is it? Oh, that's an exciting one because there's, you know, there's three names that spring to mind immediately and it's completely against the way I am, but the, 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 but Jose Mourinho. Mm, why? I just think the way he approaches things is phenomenal. His communication strategy is, you know, is, is by far and away one of the most um, developed and interesting that I've, I've ever seen. Um, he's someone that as a coach ever since I became interested in coaching, I've watched and I've, I've tried to pick things off and, and I w- I've wanted to learn from. And I think seeing his development change in the way he is changing his demeanour change, I'd almost want to tap into a week of well, why is that changed and how has that changed and what's your resonance behind it. And last one, as a young coach, and sometimes we think that you can only get advice from older, experienced coaches, what, what would your advice to young coaches be? Gain as much experience as you can all over the world and don't be afraid to spend a bit of money because in the future, your spending will accumulate. Um, one of the things I learned was, you know, comfortable spending money on flights and accommodation and, and, and taking gigs on that are unpaid and were unpaid, you know, and and really pushing yourself to gain as much experience as possible and as many different circumstances as possible. Simple things from, you know, running a, a kid's football camp of, Provided me with lessons, um, and I, I, you know, I I remember being seventeen, eighteen, going, and I actually listened to Paul Clement. He did an interview about. It. He says I learned so much in the footballing community programs when I was a young coach, and they're invaluable to me now. And I went, yeah, whatever, what are you on about? But now I look back on it, and I go, I was very naive to think that because even example from my communication skills with a five-year-old kid about. They don't want to play football, but how do I motivate them to play football is now relatable to a 24, 25-year-old player that I deal with on a daily basis in convincing them, look, this we want you to play at the best of your ability and this is how you do it. And it's those convincing buying strategies that you need. So gain as much experience in as many cultures around the world and don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money to uh, to gather those experiences because the reward will be you know, paramount. It'll be massive for yourself. What a way to finish it. Jack, thanks so much for your, your time and insight this morning. No problem, no problem. I've really Enjoy enjoyed that. it, actually. Brilliant, brilliant. And uh, we'll get you on before the when the mentorship comes to an end. Uh, we'll get you on again. And obviously, we'll be keeping in touch and tabs of you throughout your journey. So best of luck with it. We'll talk soon. Definitely. Thank you, Gary. Best of luck, Jack. Thanks so much to Jack for his time and his insight there. I thought that was brilliant just to hear his viewpoints on going from a young coach going through work and going through education and what he's getting from it and almost 
real-time experiences uh, rather than you always hear of coaches and giving hindsight and I thought this and I do that quite a bit myself so to have a coach in the midst of learning and going through the 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 process of finding himself as a coach and building his philosophy I found it very very interesting and refreshing to talk to Jack so a lot of people have reached out over the past four or five months about the mentorship program and you know asking respectfully asking why we've chosen people or what they could do in the future you know I do plan on having the the course again in the future next year and open it up and improving it and adding an extra layer or two to it Um, but I would use Jack as a really really good example of what we are looking for as we build a mentorship program and as we grow it because you can see how he views you know where he views himself and for me the the big takeaway is is how intentional he's become with his time so the amount of coaches that you know even even a few coaches in the mentorship program have struggled with time uh they haven't been able to do this or haven't been able to do that because they're they're busy and commitments and we've all got 24 hours in the day and as you work up the levels of club and college and high school and, and pro and every level you still have the same amount of time that you have to get stuff done and the responsibilities grow so you're going to have to grow a, a skill set that develops priorities that develops time management that develops working under pressure and you can see Jack is is currently going that going that direction and it's great to see that he appreciates that there and that he's like I said he's intentional about that and that I think it's great that Nigel is working in that direction with him and on the self-analysis piece which was for me when he said you know 12 months ago or whatever I would have went back and blamed players and now I find myself asking questions on myself and I think for a young coach to have that mindset and that mentality and that attitude is is a very 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 big advantage that he's going to have on over a number of coaches as he develops and, and gets better and better so that self-analysis piece that I, I probably talk about it in every single podcast and it's great to see Jack developing that there and like I said being intentional about where he has to grow and get better so um, as well just to finish it the last piece of investing invest in finances invest in time um, you know very very I love coaches that reach out to me I love coaches that ask questions but I don't I get a little bit annoyed when they're asking for free resources and free this and free that and how I can do it at cost price and you know I invested I invested so much time I, I grew up I learned coaching uh, at the start when DVDs and books were a lot more expensive than what they are now so a lot of my money went through subscriptions a lot of my money went through you know 442 World Soccer different types of DVDs I'd buy Chelsea season reviews Arsenal season reviews Liverpool season reviews Man United season reviews World Cup goals I just wanted to see as many attacking patterns as I could so you know, I spent an awful lot of my finances um, when I was a coach. All that money was almost being recycled back into the educational piece. So, it's good for Jack to give that message as well. So, basically, what I'm saying is that 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 Jack is is going in a really really good direction. I talked to one of his mentors I work with uh, at the Red Stars, Craig Harrington, and you know, Craig is he doesn't come in every day saying Jack's a brilliant coach. Jack's doing this. He's pretty realistic and straightforward of what makes Jack successful. He's he puts his time in, he's insightful, he does his work is detailed. And as you develop as a coach, that those things become 
more and more important consistency what are you doing every day can you do it every day can you commit to it every day um so so good for jack i think he's going to do a lot of good things and and like i said as we develop the program and the mentorship program i want to find as many jacks in the world as i can because i'll always i'll always always invest the time and energy in getting those people as much exposure to people like nigel as well and it's great to see that you know how nigel is has come into the the football side of of still in in the you know the pressure cooker of Hull City, uh, he's still giving his time and energy to Jack. So a lot of good things. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Would love to hear your thoughts as always. Um, please, if you've stuck around this long, please just before you drop off, give it a five star rating on iTunes. Means a lot. Um, so we've got a, a. I'm doing a webinar on Thursday. If you haven't signed up. I've gone way over the spaces, but I've opened it up. I, I limited to 300. We had 300 signed up within 48 hours, so I've opened it to 500, um, and we're currently at 400. So we should have probably by Tuesday, it'll all be packed. But if you haven't, sign up for that there. The links are on the Modern Soccer Coach Twitter page, MSC Education. We'd love to hear your thoughts. As always, Gary Kernin on Twitter, Gary Kernin on Instagram, Coach Kernin on Facebook. Gary at ModernSoccerCoach.com Thanks so much for listening Always appreciate the support And have a great week Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast For more coaching topics Sessions and resources Head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook Or visit the website at www.ModernSoccerCoach.com 